Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. But today we got an intro. All right. So we're excited to have you guys. Thank you for joining me here in Tulsa. And thank you for joining me, Carousel Facebook Live, for this edition of Wednesday Warriors. I'm excited to have you guys with us. I'm excited that you chose me tonight to walk through this amazing journey we're going to be on uh, still before the garden, God's Eternal Continuum by our favorite author, Right? Our favorite book by our favorite author, Dr. Paula Price. If you've not gotten before the God yet, you are behind. You're not just behind because you haven't been listening to Wednesday Warriors. You're behind because, my God, this revelation is taking us into the future of our lives, but taking us into God, the future of God, because God is our future. Uh, Can you say that? Because God is our future. Okay, heaven might be our hope, but God is our future. But we're not going to heaven to just walk around the place. This is not about a location. This is about being in Him. Can you say in Him? In Him. It's about being in Him. So God is our future. That's that's where we're going. That's what we're united with. We're not united with ideals. We're not united with utopia. We're not united with a rescue mission. We're not united with an island. We are united with a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Yes? So we're talking about God being our hope. So you're getting behind the the eight ball in your faith and in your Christian walk by not having before the garden. Because it is the next level of understanding and teaching we all needed to put together comprehensively our faith. I put a challenge out to God when I was 19 years old. I was in college. Actually, I was 18. Okay? And God began the journey in 19. I was 18 years old. I was going to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia at the time. Okay? I was determined to go and have my career, start my career in drama, television, and film. And so, hallelujah. Okay? We went after it. And in doing so, I remember being in my dorm room trying to comprehend the scripture. I think, what was I reading at the time? I think it might have been Luke which is ironic because Luke is like my favorite book now. Mm. So it's ironic that I'm reading Luke, and I read a passage I just simply could not understand what Jesus was saying, why he would say that, and where this was coming from. Who has ever opened their Bible and had that experience? So I had that experience because a lot of the Bible was still very coded to me. It was very encoded, very cryptic. Mm -hmm. And I could not break the seal on this thing. So I was 18, I was a very mature Christian at the time. You know, I got saved before, so, you know, of course, I'm seasoned and mature, right? <laughs> but let me tell you about this mature Christian reading their Bible at 18 in this dorm room, surrounded by every kind of hellish thing you can name, okay? I read this passage, I couldn't understand it, literally slammed the book close and threw it across the room and said, I am done with this. That was mature, wasn't it? Yeah. That's mature Christianity. I threw an amazing temper tantrum. And I said, I don't. This is so ridiculous. Like, nothing about this is congruent. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't talk to each other. I don't know why he said this over here and why this is any other thing over there. This person said this, but this person said that. Yeah, it's time for the moment with the Holy Ghost. But, you know, thank God he's my 
crazy. God just goes. Because he doesn't do the crazy. Jesus Christ shuts down crazy. That's the mad man of the death.
the message of the gospel in terms of salvation, getting someone saved, might be simple. Navigating and becoming a citizen of God's world is not. It's not a simple feat because he's not that simple. Oh, come on in here. This is the God who made the cosmos. <laughs> okay? So why are we thinking that everything related to him is going to be simple? No. As Dr. Christ said on, on, on an organic some Sunday, I believe, he simplified himself for us. I tell people all the time the Bible is written according to what? Our intelligence, not his. It was written for you to understand God, not for God to understand you. He said, I already knew you while you were yet in your mother's womb. He didn't write the Bible to get to know you. He didn't start Christianity to get to know you. He already knows you. He did it so that you would know him and so that he can recapture, as we talked about last week, what was lost. Who remembers why he said he came to seek and save those that were lost? Because lost people don't often feel lost. In fact, that was another stumbling question. When you're going out there, is it true? Chris is shaking his head because he's had these debates with people. But I'm not lost. I'm not lost to myself. I don't feel lost. But you're, what did you say, Mr. Norman? But you're lost to Jesus Christ. God is coming to get what he had to subject to darkness in the beginning that we talked about last time. He had to subject both Cain and Abel. Now, Abel was in deep when doing his brother's thing. I'm trying to figure out, want to do it right, have a heart for God. Come on here. Yeah, but i got to subject you because i got to test you. i got to allow the enemy to test you so that he knows he can't turn you. See, God has to allow his enemy to test you so that they would know they can't turn you. Why did he allow Job to go through it? Dr. Price broke that thing down again, didn't she? How many ways did he work down? No, my doctor. <laughs> okay? But she broke it down again because what came out of that? He recognized that moment. Job! I can't, I can't turn you. You have no more accusers. That's what he said after seven times. You can't come back. Because you have no more accusers. Oh, y'all don't understand. Why did Jesus Christ allow persecution? Come on in the place. Why? 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 Because you have to get to a place that you know that you can stand before God and say, but I have no more accusers. Because he came at me with everything they had. They came after my family. They came after my job. They came after my money. They came after my hope. They came after the very sanity of my mind. They came after my identity, the infrastructure of my existence, everything that I love, my prosperity, my inheritance, my destiny, my purpose. Come on. But they can find nothing in me. Jesus Christ had to be tested in all points because he had to he had to go, oh, come on, when he went to hell to face off with darkness, he had to show I have no accuser. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but when he comes, you'll find nothing in me. That's why I'm the perfect sacrifice. That's why I'm the propitiation. That's why I'm the ransom. That's why I'm the one that has the right to take these people out. That's why I have all authority being given unto me in heaven and earth because I have no Jesus. You couldn't accuse me in heaven of being unrighteous because I let the garden play out. And you can't accuse me of being unrighteous on earth because I allowed you to test me. I allowed you to try me. I suffered over. Oh, come on. I suffered. Being obedient. I learned obedience. I suffered to obey Christ and to obey my Father and to seek to it. I, your that his testimony would not be annulled by me. 
glorified them, and when he gave them the inheritance of eternal life, they would have no accuser. He says, what you're in my hands, nothing's going to pluck you out. Once this deal is done, it's going to be done. And there will be no reversal on this. So I can make sure in heaven and earth that, hey, I justify the arms and nope, they we justified it. They're doing it according to the rules. They did exactly what we said. Come on, they subjected themselves. They were willing to obey. Oh, come on in the book. Y'all with me tonight? Yes, yes. Because, see, that's where God is with us. We think that he did this because he just wanted to see you go through. No, no, he had to justify the enemy that their way is wrong. Oh, come on. He has to get you to confess out of your own mouth that that is a failing system and that you're judging it yourself. And that you're proving in your own life why God is right, why God is first, why God is faithful, and why God is good. But you have to know why God is good. And you can't know that until you take it both ways. You've been subjected to both systems. So he allows Satan to go first. And then he said, now you're cast out. It's our turn. It's the end of your age. It's the end of your testing. It's the end of this thing for you. Now you are cast out. And now it's time for our authority. Now we're going to take authority over this situation. And we're going to make the judgment calls on what's going to happen here and where people are going to go and the, and the reasons they're going to get there. Y'all with me tonight? Yes. See, I'm explaining the bringing together the Old and New Testament right now. See, these are the reasons why we need to know the entire continuum because you can't answer those questions. God wasn't out here to destroy your soul. He's actually proving that you're better than this world. <laughs> you're better than that. Oh, but you don't understand, but your last trial and how you chose to respond showed that you were better than that. Oh, come on. Why you deserve to sit in heavenly places because you don't respond the way darkness does. You didn't choose their system. You didn't choose their government. You didn't choose their law. You didn't choose their legislation. You didn't choose their character. You didn't choose their nature. That's why you belong in heaven, because you can't do it this way. You don't want it this way. You already judged their way as wrong and evil by your own actions. I will not talk about my friends. I will not destroy my church. I will not take out my pastor. I will not go and seek business. I will go and choose to forgive. Why? Because I'm better than this. If I'm sitting out, come on, if I'm seated in a system that began this thing, if I'm seated in a system that's higher than this thing. Oh, my God. You know what I said to God one morning when I woke up? I said, I know I don't belong in hell because it ain't got nothing for me. Not only does it have nothing for me, I'm going to go in hell and try to fix all their problems. <laughs> I said, hell wouldn't want me then. I'm going to come in there and tell you what's wrong with this thing. I said, I don't belong here. Because you and I have nothing in common. Amen. Come on, man. I don't have anything in common with you. See, we don't think that. Come on, we never thought about that thing in reverse because everybody's always just thinking about climbing their way up to heaven. But do you realize that as long as you have nothing in common with hell, you're going to come in here and stand glass to place that Jesus did, get this rose, that's going down, and even what? Y'all over here in this court, boy, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's my respect. You're going to want to buy up stuff in hell. Hell just, 
not your soul isn't compatible with what they do. Because how do I know that hell is not compatible for you? Because you're rejecting hell on earth. You are rejecting hell's decision for us. You're rejecting it. You're choosing by your own action. And that's the way God wanted it to be. He wants it to be your choice. He wants it to be your decision. He wants it to be your authority. That's why he said you can bind, you can lose, you can cast by your own authority. You make a decision. I don't want this. It was their call. And their right to do so. Jesus said he gave you the right to become a son. It's your right to do so. It's your right to cast those thoughts down, to cast down every imagination and every high thing that tries to come against what God has told you about yourself, about your ministry, about your destiny, about your life, about your family, about your future, about your hope. It is your right to cast those thoughts down. It's your right to defeat your opposition. You have the right now to do so. When God says he gave you the power to be a son, that means that he took you out of the slavery. Oh, come on, of the enemy. He took you from under his slavery and gave you the right now to be a son because the son is the eyes of the coast of the sons of God rule from above because they are part of the royal family. That's what First Peter was trying to tell you. We're not slaves anymore. We're a part of the royalty. We now have the authority to do something about our situation. Not only choose to walk away from Satan, but destroy him. Like the enemy. Oh, y'all all right? 
That's why he said, you have heard it say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Why? Because that was the instinctive, native response. God couldn't control it, and then you couldn't make it. And we had people all of a sudden about why bad thinking happened to good people. Let's ask this question. I'm saying, James, you have to ask this question. Why were good people forced to do bad things? Yeah. He slept with my wife. I don't want to kill this man, but I will. They took my kids. I don't want to take them out, but I will. Because of the government that was in control. And now that the new regime is in control and God's working, he said, well, well, before you go talk to me, let's think about forgiveness because I'm working on some things. See, I'm on the inside of them now. I can deal with the conscience. I can stop things before they start. Oh, come on in here. I can navigate this situation, y'all, with me. Oh, come on. Let's think about it. Your ability now to control yourself is in evidence of your divine right to sonship. You now can control and regulate your own behavior. How many of you have ever wanted to go do something and do something and rebuke yourself? You just want to rebuke your own self. You know what? I, I, I can, I can, ooh, honey, I can do a lot of things like that. But you know what? They better be thankful. I've got to go so quick for that. You go into a manner of pain. Because now you have subjected your DNA, your conscience, your consciousness to a higher law. Not your base instinct. That's what Romans 1 was talking about. Coming out of that base nature. The enemy reduced us down to base instinct, which is why he likes you to run on the raw essence of yourself, which is your emotions, your feelings. Your, okay, your appetite, your passion, follow your heart, do what you want, go after this, why? Because that will release you to your basis nature. You don't think, you don't process, you don't care, you don't use wisdom, you don't use intelligence, you don't use common sense, you don't use even basic neighborly concerns, you'll run somebody over. It's a means getting your passion fulfilled. It turns you into your animalistic self. It is God who requires wisdom. As a principal thing. And to have wisdom, you must have intelligence. And in telling, something telling you what was in, what is the better choice? Something telling you from within yourself, what is that better decision you need to be making? Did that make sense? So God is going to elevate you higher than the animals. Jesus Christ ain't going to let you do that. Which is why you start off with the renewing of your mind. Let this mind be in you. Your knowledge of God. Come on, he started with those things. Appealing to what operates your control center. As Dr. Christ said before, but your control center is your will. And the enemy subjected that to your passion, to your lust, to your appetite. That's why you see a lot of passages in Scripture saying don't return to your lust because you will return back to your base nature and not operate on your higher intelligence. Because you, what do we do with animals? We shoot them, we eat them, and we control them. And how does the enemy treat us? He shoots us, he consumes us, and he controls us. 
And once he's done with you, he spits you out and gets another one. Once he saw that this machine keeps going, okay, we just keep pumping these people out. Well, then, all right, then we don't matter. And his goal is to, to wipe out humanity, to kill human beings before they can come to a knowledge of their creator. Mm-hmm. Because that means that they're an automatic candidate for hell. Which is, which is why God don't like abortion. Go <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. I said real quick. Y'all need to catch up there? Y'all didn't hear that. What I said. <laughs> so he wants to do that. He likes to do that, which is why it's got to be drugs, alcohol, violence, whatever, anything to wipe you out before you can make choice, especially after Jesus Christ. Because he doesn't want you to be able to have the right to make a decision because he knows he will lose in his inheritance. The hell would just have lost another citizen. Oh, y'all with me? Yeah. So he drives you to destruction, drives you to that destruction to wipe you out before you can do it. And God has to come over. I know for some of us, he came over some imaginative way to keep us alive. And say, you say the prayers. He come with some unusual faith. And he said, help you. That brother came over some ways. He said, let me throw this brother on down. If it's a great jump point, I ain't going to have nobody. I ain't going to have no kids to be able to just go. Y'all out here on the run. I don't know if some of y'all would just, you know, come on, was on the run. Y'all was on the pathway. But they say the highway to hell. I was doing the highway. Heading towards the gate. Okay, my God. She ain't paying no toll. She said, I ain't have to pay nobody to do this thing. But this is why Dr. Price wrote this book, and we fight for this continuum. Because we want to secure your salvation, and we want you to know the truth about your promise. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only books that I know of, and Facebook and Periscope, feel free to challenge me on this statement, but it's one of the only books I know of that tells God's story from God's perspective. I read a lot of commentaries on scripture. You have too, and they're all about earth. You know that every answer to every earthly question starts with earth. Starts with man's issues with God, which is why the answers end up becoming scattered, contradictory, and almost like with sheep. There's so many holes in this story. You're like, my God, I can't. There's so many holes in this story. I couldn't believe this if somebody paid me a million dollars to do it. Because there's just too many gaps. Why? Because human minds trying to put together a divine intellect and divine motive and intention. But you can't do it. This is why Jesus said, let this mind be in you that was unclocked. You have to have Christ's mind. You have to have the mind of the divine to understand divine motive and intent. Okay. Did anybody catch that? Because that's why God had to elevate us to the place that we were like God. Even though Adam was from the beginning and then he just... I mean, the fact that Dr. Price said he was ego-tripping and becoming competitive, and that's why he made the decision to eat. Wow. Because he's like, dude, you already, we're already there. We're already there. So why are we having this, this conversation in this end, okay? And the fact that he knew immediately after Adam ate when he said, you afraid? What? Mm-hmm. Fear is not what we do up here. So clearly you've already been introduced to my adversary. Because mm-hmm. that's not how we roll. So you can't understand scripture if you're going to do it from a purely humanistic perspective. Humanism is about safeguarding and valuing what is corrupt and dying in this world. 
Divinity is about moving you out of this world into God's solution for it. Y'all catch that? So it's moving you out of this world. It's taking your mind away from this. Because what you're trying to answer are symptoms, not cause. What you guys can't see up here on the board is it says cause. They can't? Okay, very good. But it says cause. You don't know cause. All you know is symptoms and effects and consequences. So you're trying to answer God's consequences to pre-existing behaviors that trigger this. You were not the first sinner. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not the first one. That's almost like a criminal saying, man, they make these prisons just for me. No. They have <laughs> people like you in mind. <laughs> but you're not the first. You're not the first. But behavior, but your behaviors, the behaviors you chose to adopt for your lifestyle on this earth have earned you a nice seat and our solution to the problem, mm-hmm. our resolution yeah. to the problem. It wasn't necessarily created with your name in mind, but those behaviors have already been judged. Mm-hmm. And you decided to enter into that resolution, how we chose to solve that problem. Amen? Yeah. So that's why we have the continuum. So let's talk about this tonight, Old versus New Testament, because that's part of the issue with the Swiss cheese. Because we try to start things from a human answer, right? And the whole essence of the continuum is that it's based on what? Based on some key components. Who remembers what some of those key components are? Number one, Jesus Christ. The centrality of why God is doing anything with this planet revolves around Jesus Christ. His prototype, his inheritance, his reward, and his creation. The only reason why God is still fooling with us is for Jesus Christ. (laughs) And we thank him. That's why he really is the savior. Okay? If you have your book and your journal, okay, I didn't even say to share, but share with somebody tonight because a lot of people have issues with this. Okay? I get the question all the time. Well, that's under the Old Testament. Well, that's under the New Testament. Well, those were Old Testament prophets. Well, what did New Testament prophets do? So we get those questions. I'm not going to answer that question tonight, though. Well, I am. But we get this question all the time. But Dr. Price dismantles this in Chapter 7 on page 115. If you guys have your books in the house tonight, 115. If you have your journals, keep those out because we're going to talk about this. This is why this is very, very important, why the continuum has to be said that one of the central components of the continuum is Jesus Christ. And then it has corresponding elements that make up the second continuum, such as prophecy and time and revelation and all of those things that the, that the continuum is actually composed of. But it's all about the story and image of uh, Jesus Christ. Everything's about him. Okay, why am I saying that and why is that important to understanding the Old and New Testament? Because he is what ties these together. Wrong. Well, <laughs> these what ties these together. Because it's his story. Okay, it's his story. And why we want to be able to understand this in a congruent way and not a divisive way as we've been taught. She says this in the beginning of the chapter that 
in our attempt to make the Bible more readable and organized, okay, and, and on page 115, she said we, the decision to divide the Bible into testaments, okay, dividing the testaments into makes it far too tempting for believers to pick and choose what they want to learn about God and his truth and reject and, and, you know, resent even, okay, reject what they resent or disapprove of. That's page 115. So us dividing the Testament for easy reading and organizing them because of the historical context, because of some of the thematic things that go on with the book, makes it actually more confusing, okay, and difficult, because what do we believe? That we're dealing with two different eras, two different people, two different religions, oh, and not one God. So we have religion one, Judaism, religion two, Christianity. We have person number one, God the Father, person number two, and three, Jesus and the Holy Ghost, as if we're dealing with people who were schizophrenic and 100%, okay, dichotomous from one another. But we've been taught that, right? God was angry in the Old Testament. He was so heated. He just burned everything down to the ground. And he softened himself. And he became delicate and peaceful and loving. No, he was loving here. He said he loved Israel. They couldn't love him back. But he said he loved them. So God's love wasn't triggered by Jesus Christ. Y'all look at that. Because you think that he didn't start loving the planet until he decided to Jesus, you know, do Jesus Christ. No, he loved it way back when he said Abel's blood is going to secure the earth until I can come back for what I lost and had to subject to testing until they can receive the fulfillment of the promise. Okay? So we have that. And you are a masters of divinity and everything in theology that you can name a person. So you understand this to be true. Okay? So they did that. So that division caused us to believe that there was a distinct separation and a huge gulf and demarcation in how our faith came together. No. One person, one deity, one story from beginning to end. It is simply one. Every book of the Bible that was chosen to be in the Bible is in the Bible, not just because the founding fathers prayed and had missed and did things, okay, to choose them, okay, but it is because they all deal with the same person. They're all designed to tell one story. Jesus and his adventure and trying to save the world from before time began till now. And not just our world, his own. Yeah. I'm going to just stop right here for two seconds. But not just our world, his own, where the problem really began. Y'all with me? Yeah. So, this thing has been about that. So the whole entire Bible is literally is about Jesus Christ. He said it over and over again in the New Testament. He said, but the scriptures are testifying to me. He said, everything that you've been reading up until this point is telling you about me. Luke uh, 11, 44, right? He canonized the whole Bible. He said, these are they that speak concerning me. Everything that you've been reading from the law of Moses. Who can find Jesus Christ in the law of Moses? It was all the law of Daryl. And it was out for our destruction. How could Jesus Christ be in the law of Moses? Well, first of all, he gave the law of Moses. Yeah. Okay, we're just not going to start with just the basics. 
gave the law of Moses. All the way back to Abraham. He says, but I'm Abraham's father. You said, y'all just dishonoring me, saying y'all going to honor Abraham. you going to honor the law of Moses and do all these amazing things. He said, but I'm Abraham's father. And y'all are just honoring me. And I know your father wasn't Abraham because you're not doing the things that you would do. Abraham would never treat me this way. He didn't. He had gates. He made a covenant. It was great. Since they grew up stopping the more, it was good.
He said, how much, how long much I've been with you? Y'all are working me over because I can't even understand this. Line of thinking. Okay? Because I'm coming from another place. In another place that I'm convinced exists and you're still trying to figure it out. Okay? I'm already been, been there and done that. And y'all wondering. Okay? So not only was he testing in all points because of what he lived, but he testing all points because he was the last Adam. The last genetic version of the last gene type that would ever come out of Adam's horn. So he could close out the Adamic era himself. Y'all with me? Does that make sense? That makes sense? You good. You know, she's like, I don't know this. You know, but she already gone. Exactly. She's been here for 18 years. Okay? So you get it. So when we're talking about Old Testament, the two-step process, God establishing, reestablishing what he needed. And actually, he establishing. He didn't have to reestablish it because he already had the plan in place, really. Okay? Because he already knew. This is going to cut out. We're going to get them, and we're going to work and reconcile these things through one person. And you're the only person that knows that you're the answer. She's the only one that knew he was the answer. They ain't said, no, nobody else knew. Okay? So the Old Testament is all of Jesus' story. Jesus is Yahweh. How do we know that? John 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrew. Okay? Let us know that from the beginning, he's in the Old Testament as Yahweh, propelling his own story. Getting prophets to prophesy him coming in the flesh because he said, I know that I put my seed in Adam's loins. So I already know I'm in the flesh. I can tell you that a Messiah is coming, that there will rise up one who will bear all the sins of the world, who will be the type of leader. Oh, come on. Who will be the branch and the vine. Isaiah saw it. Balaam saw it. And Peter said that. Peter says, but the prophets prophesied by the Spirit of Christ to get Christ into the plan. How could they prophesy by the Spirit of Christ if Christ was never mentioned supposedly in the Old Testament? So the first thing you need to know is that the central figure between these two books is the same person that you're swearing is your Savior and the one that was rescuing you from Yahweh. Hey, to disappoint you. Kind of the same guy. <laughs> is that okay?